You've been listening to the podcast, the new author, Uncle Michon, I'm Not Your Black, from Louisville, Kentucky. This conversation, the family, you're my family. It's time for us to wake up and come. Just as a queen needs to have a king to have any claim to sovereignty, the king needs to have a queen to keep being a king. Now, my thing to you would be, who's telling you that you can't? It's not the system. It's you. Are you ready to grow you into the individual that you desire to become? You are now part of our family. And our family's not based on color. Our family's based on spirit. Spirit, truth, wisdom, and understanding. Uh, and I'm thinking, you know, he's, he's pushing his his uh, ideologies, uh, his idiosyncrasies or whatever. But no, no, we know we know about me showing. We know about me showing uh, T. Floyd Daniel, uh, the, the man. You know, because some people don't, they don't understand, uh, you know, uh, what shapes a person, the, the tragedies, the triumphs, that shape a person and, and, and the way they are as individuals. Go ahead, Frank, uh, say a little bit about yourself and... Uh... How you got interested in this book, uh, I'm Not Your Black America? Well, okay. So first of all, uh, my name is Frank Lovejoy, Jr. Porter. Uh, I am uh, I'm a former Marine, uh, uh, father of five, a grandfather of 18. Wow. Yep. I, am, uh, I turned 56 in September. I'm, I'm 55 years old. Uh, graduated with my master's degree from the University of Louisville, and my master's is in social work and veterans health, with great, with great. Uh, with the concentration on theology. Um, my bachelor's degree is in uh, criminal justice and public administration. So I've got like five degrees. <laughs> so, so how, how did you how did you be sure how did you get interested? In the book. Well, Mishon and I go back some years. Uh, Mishon is the uh, one of the founders of Man Up, and uh, I, I'm uh, I'm I'm the founder of uh, uh, the uh, mentoring uh, organization called Men Building Men. That's how we met. Uh, I, I am a pastor, so uh, I do pastor church. So Great. so Mishon, yeah, Mishon and I have been knowing each other. Yeah, like, like, like it's about 15 years. Uh, we have the same ideologies. Uh, we just have different ways of ex- uh, of expressing it. <laughs> uh, so I call me showing, I call me showing my evil twin because everything that me showing says, people think about saying, or that they too afraid to say it, or they don't, they want to be politically correct in saying it. Me showing just comes out and say it. So I consider me showing, uh, 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 I consider him a close personal friend. He's like a brother. Uh, uh, well, the good thing about me, Sean, is is that he he's always he's gonna be honest with you. He, he not not so much that he's not concerned about your feelings, but he's the type of friend, the type of guy I want in the foxhole. Uh, uh, if, if if the bullets come down range, that's the guy I want in my in, in, in my foxhole with me. One thing that he does before he speaks, he he makes sure he does his uh his research. Now, any anytime me, Sean says something, uh, it's got a little substance behind it. He's not just talking off the top of his head. Uh, he, do- he doesn't have random thoughts. Uh, like I said, uh, everything that he says is 
well thought out. Uh, it's got it's got some substance behind it, and uh, he, and that's one of the main reasons why uh, I value him as a friend. But the book is well insightful. Uh, one 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 of the things I, I've learned about the book, uh, some of, some of the same things that, that he'd been through when I when he was a child. Uh, we we've had some similar experiences. Uh, I read in his skeletons uh, chapter. Uh, wow, it very that was a very eye opening chapter. Uh, he talked about some dark uh, issues that he had in his past. Uh, and, and what I didn't know, because being that my master's is in social work, I've, I've done a lot of psychosocial analysis. My PSAs, uh, uh, the majority of my clients have suffered from the same traumatic experiences that me showing has suffered from. And those things that people are, are afraid to talk about, he, he speaks about it. He, he, does it, he does it in such candor, you, you cannot help. But be glued to you know. I, I read that chapter twice. Wow, wow. You know, he came from humble beginnings. Uh, his, his, you know, he talked about his mom being a very authoritarian person. Uh, and but being this, uh, my mom was the same way. You know, she she was a single black woman, uh, a single black mother, uh, raising eight kids on her own. And you know, there's some things that we we've learned by by force. Uh, some things we learn by by uh, you know observing, and some things we learn just by fear uh, because we better not do anything to embarrass <laughs> to embarrass our name, you know. So he, he he brings out a lot of a lot of good points, a lot of crucial points. And to me, looking at the social dynamic, uh, the way the way the kids are raised now, they wasn't raised the way we were raised. Our our, our parenting, uh, the way when we were brought up, it was more authoritarian. Where now parenting today, I, I I don't know what you call it, uh, but uh, at the same time, uh, you, you we have to be careful on how we parent our kids the same way we were parenting. We were parented because uh, the child protective service would say, oh, they being uh, physically, emotionally, and mentally abused, and and you know I beg to differ. Uh, when the schools tell the children, oh, you can tell us anything, but we better not even think about. It telling the school what, what went on in our house. He brought a lot of he he brought a lot of good points out. Uh the chapter about uh our, our city, Louisville, and the dynamics of how us as black men, uh the culture of us as black men in the city of Louisville was was so spot on because I didn't realize that we we are on the Mason Dixon line. You know, we we I live in Louisville, which across the bridge is Indiana. That's considered Midwest. We consider Southeast or Mid-South, you know, and, and the whole mentality of us as black men is so different. And I didn't find that out where more African-American men were more liberated than than than, than, the, uh, than the males in Louisville. And me belonging to the service, I knew people from from New York all the way down to Miami, Florida, from Los Angeles to Connecticut. You know, I've seen how different people, how they engaged in conversation, how they engaged in social behavior. And I thought, wow, our city is so far behind, not only when it comes to the mentality of, of African-Americans, but even the financial disparity of the West End. Because I grew up in the West End of Louisville. 
And, you know, the systemic racism when it comes to economics in the city of Louisville is so, uh, uh, how would you say it for lack of a better term, it is so marginalized. It's, it's not even a middle. It's not even a middle ground. Either you have money or you don't have money. And when you live in the West End in Louisville, uh, you know they've they've done so far as taking banks. We only have two banks in the city of Louisville in the West End. Wow. You know, so you 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 dealing with the uh, the financial uh, uh, deprivation. Uh, we we are so deprived of any opportunities in the West End, and the and the sad and the sad part about it is that the, the, the African American men or women that came from the West End that are millionaires or they have a, a, they make a, a, a great living for themselves do not invest back into the neighborhood. Back when I was growing up, there was black owned businesses. You know, we had cleaners, we had uh, grocery stores. We've had uh, like uh, you know we had a Algonquin Algonquin Manor shopping center. We had movie theaters in the West End. We had shopping centers in the West End. You know we we didn't need to take our money to the East End. We didn't need to take our money to the South End. But once <clears throat> but once uh, that dried up, now you see uh, people in the West End they 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 go out and they shop in the East End. You feel that you related to that to the chapter the Louisville. But any other chapters that you related to? Uh, 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 the American faith. Uh, how he speaks about the uh, uh, the African American church. Uh, you know, and, and some of his feelings about uh, uh, organized religion as a whole. Now, this is where he and I kind of differ because being that I'm a pastor. I do believe, and not so much the organized religion, but I believe that there, there should be some type of organization in the body of Christ. And and he believes that that he's called, and I'm not, who am I to argue? Uh, he, he believes in doing God's work. Uh, he believes in doing, being obedient to God, uh, you know, but some of, the, some, of the, some of the things that he's experienced and some of the things that he's, he's went through, uh, when when it comes to to the church, uh, turns him off because he wasn't raised up in the church, and he 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 speaks about that in the book that he wasn't raised up in the church, much much less the black church. And I get it, you know, uh, not everybody uh, not everybody uh, uh, feels the same way about the church, uh, and 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 that's no that's nothing against them. Uh, he walks to the beat of his own drums when it comes. When it comes to uh, organized religion, now the God Lives Matter, I like that because uh, he and I feel the same way about the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, and God Lives Matter focuses on everyone. It, fo it focuses on uh, we all a part of God's children. Uh, he doesn't favor one race more than the other. You know, and right. and, and, and I, I, I and that I really appreciate. Uh, 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 one thing I, I loved about the book. <laughs> is because you see a side of me showing that, you know, some people don't know. Me showing is one, again, he's 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 got a hard shell, but you know, uh, this book really digs down deep into who he is as a as a person. And I really appreciate that. He, he you know, he's pouring his heart out to, to us as individuals.
He's being very transparent. Right? Yeah, he is. He, I, I, I definitely agree, and uh, more transparent than because to be honest with you, when when I got the book, I'm, I'm thinking it's him expressing his political views, and because he he is a conservative, uh, he is a conservative person. He he's a Republican, and and, uh, and I'm thinking you know he's he's pushing his his uh, ideologies, uh, his idiosyncrasies, or whatever. But no, no, we know we know about me showing. We know about me showing uh, T. Floyd Daniels, uh, the the man. What made him? Who made him? What he is? Right. So, so you mean he's not pushing just ideologies? Right. Right. I, I, I thought I knew him, but you know now I really know him, and I really and I, and I appreciate him more. You know, because some people don't they don't understand. Uh, you know uh, what shapes a person, the, the tragedies, the triumphs that shape a person, and 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 the way they are as individuals. And uh, now, now I know, and I pre- it makes me respect him even more that he that he he's uh, uh, courageous enough to to talk about some things that that are taboo to some people. So, but as far as the since you're a pastor. Um, do you think any of his criticism is true? My, I, I, I didn't experience the same thing that he experienced when I grew up in the church, and so you know I've seen I've seen the church in its I've seen it in its glory, I've seen the church in its scandal, I've seen the church, uh, I've seen it to where at the end of the day, um, uh, we we have to uh, we have to take it for what it is. Uh, my my faith in God will never change, although my faith in people. Uh, uh, maybe uh, a little, uh, uh, a little wavering, depending on the si- the situation and the circumstances. But my faith in God never changes, and I think with Him, He's more so um, cautious about how He deals with people in the church, based on His experiences and based on what He's seen and what He what He what He's experienced. You know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tell Him you going to hell, me, Sean, because this is this is how you feel. Now, it's, it's some it's some things that I, I I may don't agree with, but it doesn't take anything away from him as a as a man, and and his faith in God. Basically, what he says, American faith or Christianity. Do you think it's going the right direction? Again, you know, like I said, in, in my opinion, I, I think the, I think the church is stagnant, uh, depending on again, you know, and that's depending on who you're. What you're what you're talking about, you know. I think that the church, the church of old, is is definitely is, is definitely gone, because people nowadays, especially young people, are more distracted with social media. If you look at just the the, the social dynamics, uh, back when you were coming up in age, uh, if you look at the the statistic, it was probably about fifty five to sixty five percent of family households. That uh, went to church. Uh, they was active and 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 going to church and 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 praising God. Uh, and and I mean, when I say go to church, you know, every Sunday uh, for for service, and then Wednesday for Bible study. I say I say that sixty five percent is probably, and I'm being kind, twenty percent, maybe even less than that. So you know, and then you have uh, pastors or are people in of of faith. That once they read the words, once they were the, the, they read the word of God to you, 
that was it. That was the law. You know, pastors and and uh, people in the church were more respected back then than they are now. We, we You see the scandals that's going on, whether it's in the Catholic church, the Baptist church, the Pentecostal church or whatever. So things are more exposed now than they were uh, back when we were growing up, you know. And, uh, you know, and and, uh, and, and Mishon's experience, I know Mishon had, uh, had some run-ins uh, with, with, with some uh, very uh, uh, charismatic uh, uh, and uh, some, some pastors of large congregations. And, again, he's, he's not afraid to speak his mind. And, and some of those pastors view, view him as a threat. And, and you know, and, and, and like I always tell him, well, the Bible says many things are lawful but not, ex- but not expedient. And it may be right to say it, it may not be the right time to say it, you know. And uh, and so that's that's what kind of he and I differ in opinion. So, matter of fact, uh, let me see. I, I'm a, I'm a I'm a reader excerpt in this book, American Faith. And so he said, the liberation of faith has subverted to the very essence of it all. Uh, uh, the very essence of it. All faith, all religion is rooted in the fiber of tradition. It is rooted. Uh, and the idea that things matter, that the texts matter, and that there must be space for true, unshamed faith in any society or system. Yet, this is untrue of the American experience. Here, religion has been regulated to a peripheral status, watered down, and handed around without any standards. Now, again, I don't necessarily agree with that because some, you know, you have some pastors that teach the Bible. You have some churches that teach the unadulterated Bible. You see what I'm saying? So, to me, that's a matter of opinion. So then he says, there is no social vitality. There is nothing to tell whether the religious worship is true or whether the words of worship come from the heart or not. Again, that's a matter of opinion. And to our spoken tongues that night on the road, I've been honest enough to never speak the word of Bible without uh, the words of the Bible without faith. Why is it I never felt that connection to faith before that moment? See, so he's speaking on he's speaking in first person. He's not speaking mm-hmm. in third person. You know, he's speaking in first person. So. He says, uh, let Uncle Bishon tell you why, because American faith is essentially soulless. Again, that's a matter of opinion, and that's based on his experience. Because there's been some churches I've been to where I've seen people delivered from drugs. I've seen people delivered from alcohol. There's been some services I've been I've been to where people were, were, were you know, they went up in faith. They had cancer. Uh, the, the next time they went to the doctor, that cancer was gone and never came back. I don't have a heaven or hell to put nobody in. All I can say is whether I agree or whether I don't agree. Yeah, but I'm glad you're, you know, being specific about your comments and like what, you know, which part of the book you're actually. Uh, now, now here, now let me say this. Now, this one I do believe. He says, "Yet today, faith is an afterthought in America." I believe that it is an institution. Churches devolve into therapy clinics for those who lack the means to go to an actual ther- therapist. Faith has ceased to be a spiritual anchor and thus, uh, and thus devoted into becoming nothing more than a social institution. I believe I, now that part I do believe, you know, mm. because because now you have some the pastors of today run the church like a business. The, the, mm. the pastors of to, the pastors of today run it like it's a social institution. To where back then, when when I was coming up, when we came up. They said that the, the church is a hospital. When you when you know when you need healing, you go to the church, and then you 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 believe in what the what the Bible says. Now, as as a licensed social worker, 
you know, you know, I'm certified by the state to deal with mental disabilities, alcohol, drug abuse, uh, 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 mental handicap, uh, uh, mal mentally delayed or whatnot. So I'm licensed to deal with that. However, I, I, you know, I know what, depending on who I'm dealing with, if I'm dealing with a believer, yes, I'm, 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 I'm gonna treat you. Uh, I'm gonna treat the case, but as a believer, I'm going to speak the faith and the healing power of God through the name of Jesus. I mean, this whole reason we're going to do this podcast is not just to promote his book. You know, America is is in need of this type of talk topic. And so you're very honest and straightforward, and that's what we need. Well, 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 let me say this. this. This is such an outstanding read, I'm telling you. Uh, I, I love the king and queen. You know, I, I love how he talks about the queen being a pivotal piece on the chessboard. I love that. I love how he talks about the king being vulnerable, how the king is limited in his movement and how the queen is able to move all around the board, you know, how she can move in any direction. But at the same time, uh, the queen is is opposite of the king. The queen does not uh, compliment the king in, in, in the game of chess. But, but, mm. but, if you look, but if you look at it, the queen can get killed and the game is not over with. But the queen has more freedom than the king does. That's true. You know, so that's that's, 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 that's almost like an oxymoron. You need, what, what, how does that relate to reality? Okay, so, so here's, another, here's another excerpt. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, it says, um, we are caught in rules and limitations, like pieces on a chessboard, and this is the trauma of human life. The chessboard is an analogy for reality. And to understand the board is vital. To play the game is vital. If we stand in place hoping for something to occur on its own, it never will and will be left, wondering why nothing is happening for us. That is a very pivotal piece in that chapter right there. So all those who affect and mass realities with move, moves of power are players in the game. There are people who understand the board. Today, the majority of the players belong to the European demographic, the rich and the wealthy and the powerful, the folk who run the ins and outs of this world as uh, familiarly, familiarly as jotting down their own names. Yet this was not always so. Do you know where chess comes from? Since says, let Uncle B. Sean tell you, chess is a game in itself that originates from Africa. So, again, he he is very thoughtful, very insightful. He's not just throwing things out on the board to see what sticks. There's substance behind what he says. It, it comes from the very place from which the, which came the slaves, the long-suffering men and women whose descendants I and so many others are. So, you know, so, you know, so, you know, he speaks in a lot of similar uh, similes. Uh, He speaks uh, and, and, and you know, he does a lot of uh, metaphor. He speaks in a lot of metaphors, but the metaphors are so powerful. It brings the reader into the book. You know, he's not talking over our heads. So prior to becoming slaves, folk knew about all these games. They still had their queen, like Pharaoh's wife, plants and not. Our men were kings. Why the women played the role play the role of king, queen, but when they were taken captive, they were estranged from this tradition. 
The newly made slaves had not just lost their freedom, lives, uh, and property, but they also lost their queens. So let's go back to 16, 1619. First, the first, the first way, uh, the first instance of the family being uh, being broken was the women taken away from their husbands. So the women basically had no king; they had no ruler because they was, you know, the family was split apart. The, the 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 wives was taken away from the husbands. The kids was taken away from the, from the wives. So they had no identity. So it's always been a colonizer's tool to divide and conquer. Colonizers always use this tool to divide and people segregate them, fragmentize the identities, and turn them into squabbling, ineffective individuals. Again, we go back to 1619. And that was the start of us as people not knowing who we are, not understanding the history, and not and not realizing that we come from kings, we come from queens, we're descendants of greatness. But when you are when you taken away from a place you're familiar with and take and are forced to live in another place that you're unfamiliar with, and you you and the very thing that you hold dear to is taken away. So guess what? You're gonna either do one or two things. You're gonna either die trying to go back to where you came from, are you going to conform to that new way of life? Well, I just wanted to know, like, who do you recommend this book to? What type of a question would this book answer? Well, I mean, you know, depend depend on what type of person you are. If you're searching for your identity, uh, this can help you. Uh, you know, this could help you uh, identify with some things you went through and uh, uh, who you are as a person, you know, this will help you kind of um, relate uh, to some things he went through. Uh, a lot of things that he went through, um, a lot of us as black men went through. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I don't think that his struggles were are uncommon to the to the struggle of uh, uh, of the uh, individual uh, uh, African American man that came up uh, uh, through a single parent. Uh, who was uh, sexually molested as a child, uh, who who may have went through an identity crisis. You know, I think his struggles are probably the same struggles uh, as the majority of uh, of our uh, young, as well as maybe older African American men. He 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 tells his story in such a dynamic way uh, that you know, like I said, I, I say the majority of young men can can relate to it. Definitely. Thank you so much, Brother Frank. You've been listening to the podcast, the new author, Uncle Me Show, I'm Not Your Black, from Louisville, Kentucky. This conversation, the family, you're my family. It's time for us to wake up.